0: So I think it's helpful to kind of flesh it out a little bit because there's a lot of information that we can actually glean from the cycle. And most women, we are, we're just not really taught about it. So we don't really know how, how much our menstrual cycle is affected by our health.
1: This is episode number 110 of the Life Strength and Health Podcast. I'm Kim and I'm joined with Jamal. Greetings, everyone. And uh, blessings. yes, and thank you for joining us this week. The title of this week's episode is The Fifth Vital Sign. Uh, but before we dive into what that is, just want to share this episode's testimonial. And this week's testimonial comes from Joe. And Joe says, this place is amazing. Been coming here for a while and also referred a friend that goes too. the prices are very reasonable compared to others I've seen. If you need a colon cleanse, here's the place. Thank you, Joe, for those kind words. And we wish you much health success. This week's organic food for thought is on Avocados. Avocados are nutritious fruit that originated in Mexico, but are now cultivated around the globe. The avocado tree, also known as the Priscilla Americana, is a member of the laurel family and can grow between 30 to 40 feet tall. It has greenish yellow flowers and produces a single seeded berry known as the avocado. Avocados are jam-packed with nutrients. Although each serving does contain a good amount of avocado calories, it's also rich in fiber, vitamin K, folate, vitamin C, and potassium, along with a good chunk of heart-healthy fats and minimal avocado carbs.
2: Yeah, avocados is is definitely one of those uh, tricky foods. It's grown to be one of my favorites. There's a lot of non-Caribbean Americans that don't really care for avocados. It's relatively kind of new as far as its popularity is concerned. Mm-hmm. I know in a lot of tropical areas, you know, they eat it as a fruit. You know, they peel it, they eat it as is, you know, they have uh, dear feelings for it. But here in America, it's it's growing and a lot of people still Don't really care for for avocados. And a lot of times they put it in the vegetable category because it's not sweet, but it's definitely a fruit. And just coming from, you know, a a person that can relate. I didn't like uh, avocados, um, but just... Really knowing the, the benefits of avocado, I, uh, started to, to try to develop my palate for it. So I would do interesting things like making the, um, the chocolate mousse, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, a very delicious, uh, avocado pudding, you know, making things like that, and, and yeah, putting it in, in in smoothies and just really just. And now I've grown to like it. Now I can slice it and I can have it with you know with my meal as is. Hey, you put a little salt on. Yeah, it. I'm mm-hmm. not to a point where I could just peel it and eat it straight. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. That. You know. I. I can't do that. But. Um. But I can enjoy it and eat it every day. So for those of you who don't like avocados, really try to, to develop your palate for it. You can. You just have to find ways to to, to get it in mm-hmm. and it'll be beneficial for you. Right.
1: There's mm-hmm. so many uses for it. Yeah. So find a way that is palatable for you right. to consume it. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the avocado benefits are that it improves heart health. Um, it reduces risk of me- metabolic syndrome.
2: Yeah. And just for people that don't know that's just kind of a cluster of of things that it could lead to such as diabetes, uh, heart disease, uh, stroke, um, and just really not being able to control your your blood sugar properly.
1: Right. Um, Another benefit is supports eye, skin, and hair health. Yes. It fights cancer cell growth, promotes weight loss, enhances digestive health, protects against insulin resistance and diabetes, it boosts your mood and it also helps to decrease arthritis symptoms. Yeah,
2: so it's definitely a superfood. Just to put it in perspective, as far as social media is concerned, because they make it seem like, you know, you eat one avocado when all of these things are going to instantly happen. But it's one of those things that like over time, you eating avocados consistently, all of, the, all of the things that we're naming, mm-hmm. uh, your chances increase of and your health benefits increase when you're doing these things. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that, uh, that that is a standout is potassium. A lot of times when we think about potassium foods, we think about bananas. And we know bananas can be high in sugar. So when you need to increase your potassium, but you don't want to increase your sugar, avocados is the go-to food. Yeah, and it's really high in fiber, too. You wouldn't think. Absolutely. So right. that's going to definitely help as far as like your digestive system is concerned.
1: Yes. Yes. So now let's segue into this week's episode. And as I mentioned, the title of this episode is the fifth vital sign. And it's actually part one of a two part uh, interview um, that we did with Lisa Henderson, Jack. And if that name sounds familiar, you remember Lisa was on the podcast on episode 80, 81 and 82 uh, talking about the fertility awareness method. And we asked Lisa to come back um, because she recently released a book called The Fifth Vital Sign. And um, we had to have Lisa come back and share the amazing information that's in this book. Um, So before we dive into the interview, I'm just going to read a little short um, bio uh, about Lisa. Lisa Henderson-Jack is a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. In her new book, The Fifth Vital Sign, Lisa debunks the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want children by recognizing the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. Drawing heavily from the current scientific literature, Lisa presents an evidence based approach to fertility awareness and menstrual cycle optimization. She hosts the Fertility Friday podcast, a weekly radio show devoted to helping women connect to their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between menstrual cycle health, fertility, and overall health. I really enjoyed the interview with Lisa. She shares so much information we had to break it up into two episodes because there's just so many, I like to call them golden nuggets that were shared in, in this interview.
2: Yeah, I think it's so important because when we're sitting with a lot of our clients, one of the things that, that I see is that a lot of women really are in tune with their cycles like that and they really don't understand their their bodies. I mean, that goes with without saying for both men and women, but just for this topic, they really don't understand their their bodies when it comes to their cycles and the things that it means and how to properly look at it in a sense. So I I think that this is a very valuable show, Mm -hmm. uh, especially for women, but men and women, because men have no idea as well, Um, just how to look at your cycle so differently, right? And just to, to start looking at your body differently and just understanding that, your body really can speak to you in so many different ways. And it's just a matter of understanding the language of of your body. Right. Right. So I I believe that her book will really teach you how to do that, how to begin to to decipher and understand the language of your body so that you can use that as a tool to better your health.
1: Right. It just goes back to body literacy. And when you're taking a holistic approach to your health, it's about taking responsibility. And for women, this is so empowering to know that another way that our bodies are accomplished Constantly talking to us and how you can course correct in real time and not wait for something you know more severe to happen. You know. And um, before we dive into the interview, we also wanted to share that um, at the time of the recording, Lisa, you know, her voice was a little sore, but you know, she still wanted to proceed, and it's perfectly fine. But her voice will sound a little different than (laughs) um, the first time we interviewed her. But still, all, all in all, it was a great interview. But we just wanted to give you a heads up. Yes. All right. So without further ado, let's dive into the interview. Today, we are joined with Lisa Henderson-Jack. And actually, she is our first repeat guest on our podcast. So thank you, Lisa, for coming back on. Lisa was featured in episode number 80. And we actually broke that episode into three episodes because it was so much information that we spoke about. And during the first episode, Lisa mentioned that she was working on a book. And then lo and behold, because I'm on Lisa's email list, She mentions that um, she's releasing a book and she's releasing the early version of it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like most people say they're going to write a book and then it's like (laughs) years and years past. (laughs) But you did it. And I was so proud of you. And I, you know, I got the advance copy and I read it and it was amazing. The information that you have in there. So it needs to be spread around the world for women, for everyone to get this information. So I asked Lisa to come back on the show to talk about her book. And the name of Lisa's book is The Fifth Vital Sign, uh, Master Your Cycles and Optimize Your Fertility. So, Lisa, welcome to the show.
2: Yes, welcome back.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm honored (laughs) that I'm your first repeat guest.
1: (laughs) Incredible. So um, for our audience, can you describe what the fifth vital sign is?
0: Um, Well, yes, I think the easiest way to describe it is just to think about just what we know about vital signs to begin with. So um, the four most commonly known vital signs are body temperature, um, your heart, your your heart rate, your blood pressure, your respiratory rate. So, how many breaths that you take each minute? And when you think about the four main vital signs, if you were to go to your doctor's office and your doctor was to measure your vitals, you would have a sense that there's an established range for each sign. So, mm-hmm. if you were um, For instance, like if your blood pressure was too high or too low, not only would it give the doctor some general information that there could be an issue with your health, it would also give a specific roadmap for what it could be because high blood pressure is caused by certain things or similarly with elevated temperature or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it gives the doctor a place to start and specific places to look for information. And what's interesting is that the menstrual cycle acts in the very same way. And so I'm not the first health, you know, professional to uh, talk about the menstrual cycle being a vital sign, Mm -hmm. it's more and more health professionals are starting to recognize that. And, um, and especially uh, just, just because of how receptive the menstrual cycle is to different changes in health. And also, when I'm talking about the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, I think it's helpful to clarify, when I say menstrual cycle, a lot of women just think about their period. So they might just think, oh, you know, what's happening on those couple of days and the way that we're taught slash not taught about the menstrual cycle it's almost as though you have your period and then like fast forward we don't really know what happens in between and then you get another one about a month later Mm -hmm. Uh, so when I talk about the menstrual cycle as a vital sign I'm talking about the whole cycle so we would be looking at the period you know how long is it how much bleeding do you have Is it following a normal flow pattern? Um, We would also be looking at what happens as you approach ovulation. So in a healthy cycle, you would expect to see some cervical mucus as you approach ovulation. So like the um, creamy white hand lotion or like the clear, stretchy, raw egg whites. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would expect you to ovulate in a healthy cycle. So we would look at if it's happening, if it's happening normally, um, if it's if it's happening really delayed or if it's happening really early and then after ovulation it in a healthy cycle you would expect to get your period about two weeks later so basically if you think about the menstrual cycle then in its entirety if there's something off with your period yes that can alert us to something that we need to look into further but there's all of these other stages of your period if you're randomly bleeding throughout your period or throughout your menstrual cycle you know after your period is supposed to be finished we would want to look at that do you have some sort of cervical mucus every day that would be a problem because you're in a healthy cycle you'd only have it for two to seven days so i think it's helpful to kind of flesh it out a little bit because there's a lot of information that we can actually glean from the cycle and most women we are we're just not really taught about it so we don't really know how how much our menstrual cycle is affected by our health
1: Right. Exactly. And like you mentioned, when most people do think about the menstrual cycle, they just think of the days that you have your menses. But it's the whole period from after your menses ovulation until your next. Right. It's it's that whole that whole
2: process. So, you know, the last time you came on the show was extremely uh, educational. And uh, we refer a lot of our clients back to those shows and mm-hmm. they're getting a wealth of uh, information and um, many of them are, including myself, are learning so much uh, that uh, we never knew when it comes to uh, women's uh, bodies and, and how they function with with cycles. Uh, why do you think that there's such a um, what the, like the medical industry or the health industry is so far behind in um, educating women and, and men properly on women's cycles and the indicators?
0: Well, I think that's a really important question. I don't think the answer is really simple yeah. because I feel like it's it's a it's kind of a bigger a bigger thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, if you look at science historically, even scientific research and studies, you know, historically most of the research was done on men or male bodies male animals. Mm. And there was often this sense that, well, the, the women have all these things going on with their ovaries and the hormones and all of that. So that's going to co- complicate the research, which may or may not be true. Um, but there's a long history in medicine to basically look at the male body as a standard, do the testing on male bodies, and then kind of try to apply it to all bodies. Yeah. And I think a really good example of that is in how how um, how men and women present differently with regards to heart attacks. Mm-hmm. So men and women present very differently when it comes to heart attacks. Now, this isn't my area of expertise, but um, over the past several years, doctors have been trained differently even in medical school regarding the different ways that um, women would demonstrate a heart attack. Yeah. So we're all kind of familiar with the way heart attacks look in men. But for women, it's it's often more subtle. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. this would often be missed. So that's just one example. So I mean, to answer your question, I think it's partly that, um, the the big word, the patriarchy, yeah. the kind of um, the, just the way that our world is. And obviously, as a, as a woman, and you know, I've had this experience. I know so many women have had this experience where you go to the doctor's office, maybe you have concerns about your cycle. I know as a black woman I had concerns about fibroids and heavy bleeding. It was something that was in my family, and I know a lot of black women struggle with it. Mm-hmm. And but it's similarly to any menstrual cycle issue, you know, often you're just being told, Well, you know, if you have heavy bleeding, just go on the pill. Like literally the pill and or painkillers are basically the only thing that's offered um so ultimately i think that what needs to happen is not only having more women doctors because then you have women who are trained in the same kind of patriarchal field but we kind of basically i feel like we just have to start putting it out there and start educating ourselves yeah. uh, in the hopes that overall the the, the information will Get in there Uh, because it's not for a lack of scientific evidence. You know what I mean? It's not because the information isn't there. So that's when we really have to start asking, well, why isn't it in medical textbooks?
2: Right. Yeah. Right. So in in educating everyone, uh, how is a woman's cycle an indicator of her overall health?
0: Um, well, that's a really good question. I think first and foremost, um, one of the myths that I try to break when it comes to menstrual cycle awareness and fertility is the idea that the menstrual cycle is only important when we're trying to have babies. Mm-hmm. So, as as women, we're often taught that you know it's only it only really matters if you have a healthy period or that you're ovulating regularly if you're actively trying to have children, and if you're not currently trying. And then it doesn't really matter what's going on down there. And so um, to break that myth, it's helpful to have a couple of examples of how how different menstrual cycle events do impact your health in ways that are not related to having babies. I had an interesting conversation um, with uh, one of my groups of clients. One of the women was sharing that, uh, you know, she doesn't plan to have children ever. So she was kind of like, it, it was almost that concern of like, if but if my cycle gets really healthy, then I'll be able to conceive, and I'm not trying to get pregnant. It's like, wait a minute.
1: Okay. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, for example, um, you know, a lot of us have heard of basically amenorrhea or hypothalamic amenorrhea, and we're most familiar with that example of say female athletes. So we all kind of know that if you've got an Olympic athlete who's really working out a lot, that it's not uncommon for her periods to be disrupted or for her to lose her periods altogether. Um, and often we kind of just think of that as like a normal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but hypothalamic amenorrhea is a really serious condition. It's characterized by a combination of over-exercise, undernutrition and stress. And it's often seen, um, predominantly, you know, in sports where thinness is emphasized. I saw some Mm -hmm. research saying it was more common in, you know, ballet and gymnastics, but there's a lot of women who work out five and six times a week. Um, There's a lot of pressure on women to have perfect skinny little bodies. Uh, because of the world that we live in but the thing is that if you lose your period as a woman for say six months or more you're at an increased lifetime risk of developing osteoporosis because when you're not menstruating it's a serious problem it means that your body doesn't have enough energy to support the normal bodily functions and it has chosen to suspend Ovulation and menstruation, menstruation, to um, as a way to conserve energy, mm-hmm. and so what happens is you start to rapidly lose bone mass. Right. So I'm guessing that even if you don't want to have children, you probably want to have bones
2: right. Right. that are
0: fully developed. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. So you don't yeah.
0: develop osteoporosis at right. the age of 25, and. There are women out there, um, some of whom perhaps had an eating disorder, you know, um, because it's also common if you have, if you stop eating. So for women who are actually anorexic and they don't eat, um, for women who really are kind of, maybe they are aware, maybe they're not aware, but are in that kind of exercise, but potentially not getting enough to eat, losing their period type of situation, who do end up at an increased risk uh, of osteoporosis or actually getting a diagnosis in their 20s.
1: Mm.
2: Wow. Yeah. In the 20s. Yeah. So yeah. that, that leads us to, um, cause you're making some really good points about just women athletes and, and how their health is looked at in regards to their cycles. And it, it seems like um, there are a lot of things, uh, information that's out there, especially in, in the so-called kind of uh, conscious health community in regards to the cycle and and like how how a healthy cycle looks. Um, so that would be my question to you. Exactly. How does a healthy cycle look? Because there's a lot of information out there, uh, like what you were saying. Um, it almost looked at it as a good thing when uh, athletes aren't getting their cycles. And it seems to be a lot of information that's uh, circulating that, uh, very short cycles, um, and sometimes even no cycle is, is healthy. Like how, what does a healthy cycle look like?
0: Well, that's a really important question as well. I think that to kind of, Speak to what you're mentioning, we also have a culture that doesn't really value periods very Mm -hmm. much. We think of them as dirty and gross and as an inconvenience. Um there's a huge religious undertone there, you know. Um there's certain religions and where in which, you know, if you're menstruating, you're considered to be unclean and there's certain places you can't go or things that you can't do. So it's important to acknowledge the complicated history of how we look at menstruation, because if we think of it as a hassle, as a burden, and if we don't think that periods matter, unless we're trying to have babies, it would make sense that we would think that it's a good thing if you're not getting a period, right? Because that kind of sets us up for that. Um, So in terms of what a healthy cycle looks like, to shatter one of the myths one of the most common myths about the menstrual cycle is that it's only healthy if your cycle is 28 days long Mm -hmm. and a lot of women believe that if their cycle is 29 days that's a problem or 32 days that's a problem so um, a healthy cycle can range anywhere from about 24 to 35 days in length with an average of about 29 days And so that means that ovulation does not always happen on day 14 because we are not actually robots. Mm -hmm. And um, when you look at the menstrual cycle, we can break it into two parts. We can break it into what happens before ovulation, so the pre-ovulatory phase, and then what happens after ovulation, the post-ovulatory phase. And the first half is the most variable. So, for example, if you're experiencing a stressful event or if something's happening, if there's something um, like a health issue that's causing a great deal of inflammation or an autoimmune issue your ovulation can be delayed and so that can you know extend the length of your cycle quite a lot but we would expect a healthy cycle to fall somewhere between about 24 to 35 days and that means that ovulation in a healthy cycle could happen anywhere between day 10 and day 24 which Mm -hmm. for a lot of women kind of blows their mind um Mm -hmm. because it's like what do you mean if i ovulate on day 18 that that's okay um But it's very common uh, for that to shift. So to take you through the full cycle, I mean, from start to finish, day one of the menstrual cycle is the first day of your period. So the first day of your true flow. Some women have, uh, you know, a couple days of spotting before their real period starts. But we're talking about the day where you have to do something about it when you're actually flowing. Mm -hmm. And so in a healthy period, you know, we would expect it to last anywhere from about three to seven days. Um, periods are typically they typically start moderate to heavy and have kind of like a crescendo decrescendo pattern where they start heavier and kind of gradually taper off. And a period should kind of be like a sentence like it should have a beginning a middle and an end and then it should be over. So if your period kind of trails on if you have all kinds of bleeding throughout the cycle that would be that we wouldn't consider that to be normal that would be abnormal. Once your period finishes and you know we're in the preovulatory phase. In a healthy cycle, we would expect to see about two to seven days of cervical mucus. So like I said, either the creamy white hand lotion type or the clear, stretchy, um, egg whitey type um, as you approach ovulation. So again, with the cervical mucus, we would expect you to have a couple of days before it starts. And then once you ovulate, we would expect it to stop. If you just have mucus all the time, like every single day, or if you never have mucus, both of those scenarios would be something to look at because, again, there is a healthy range of normal for each of these phases of the cycle, and then we would expect you to ovulate. So a cycle isn't healthy unless you're actually ovulating, and then once you ovulate, um, again, the second half of the cycle is supposed to be about two weeks, twelve to fourteen days. The reason why that matters is is kind of twofold. So, um, you know, in the menstrual cycle, that's how we produce hormones. I really like how Laura Bryden talks about (laughs) ovulation and she says ovulation is how women make hormones, but it's true. So in the first part of the cycle, we're making estrogen as we approach ovulation. Our ovaries are um, releasing estrogen as our follicles develop. And then after ovulation, we're producing progesterone. And so there's a lot of different roles of these hormones outside of just Reproduction, They have an effect on our breast tissue. They have an effect on our bone development, as we touched on already. Um, and estrogen and progesterone play a lot of different roles in the body. Estrogen is a proliferative hormone. It causes things to grow, which is why excess estrogen is associated with certain types of cancer. Whereas progesterone has uh, an anti-proliferative effect. So progesterone actually counters some of the potentially harmful effects of estrogen, helping the cells to grow and develop normally and to mature um so with that said i mean that's part of the reason as women in order to to be of optimal health we have to have a healthy luteal phase is what is called the second half of the cycle so that we can produce enough progesterone you know that's just part of what it means to be a healthy woman of reproductive age Mm -hmm. but also if a woman is trying to get pregnant if her luteal phase is only like six days seven days so if she ovulates and then her you know, she starts bleeding, she starts getting her period like a week later or, you know, before that 12 to 14 day mark, it can impair her chances of conception. Um, Because, so just to go into the biology of it, when you ovulate, it takes several days for the egg then, once it's fertilized, to go through the fallopian tubes and kind of find its way into the uterus. So there's a small window when the uterus is receptive to implantation and if, you're, if the second half is too short, then by the time that egg has made its way into the uterus and is trying to implant, you're already bleeding and that obviously is not going to work right, <laughs> if right. you're trying to get pregnant. But it's just helpful to kind of understand that there's all of those different factors. That's how we tell if the cycle is normal. We would look at all those different factors, not just the length, not just when ovulation happens, but kind of all those factors together.
2: Okay. That that cycle process it sounds amazing. Like that's you know, it's <laughs> we're amazing
1: beings, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's
2: just so it's so much going on that people have no idea <laughs> about. You know that that's that's an incredible um, cycle, and I just see the the value in everyone knowing that. It it, ma- it makes me think about you know when we're looking at. Especially in our our field of of you know helping people to to become healthier, it's it's like how could you not look like at like that? consider that? Yeah, right. it's like you know it should be automatic. You know, mm-hmm. make, it, it. It's I almost feel like you know these are the types of questions that should be asked so that women can understand if something is off, and then they can you know be referred to how to get the proper help. But you know that that that's such an important part of of your health. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I don't even. I mean, we spoke about it before, but just why isn't it being talked about, and why so many women don't know right. about it? Because uh, I would say, you know, ninety-five percent of of the women that that come to see us when when we you know have them listen to your the the podcast that you did with us the last time. I mean, like this is all totally new information,
1: right? Yeah. They don't consider their menstrual cycle unless they're conceiving, right? So yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. so one of the things that you mentioned about the period was uh you know should last three to to seven days uh i I assume that that's based on the individual and if it's three days and it's healthy, that's what's important, in including uh seven what what happens when we're outside of that because I've even heard a lot of information out there saying that uh you know your your the woman's period uh should be even less than that sometimes only. Uh, a, a day uh lasting uh what what are your thoughts on on the information that that's out there about that?
0: Well I mean first thing what I'll say is that there's a lot of some some of it kind of dangerous information out yeah. there. There are health influencers. <laughs> Um, in certain spaces saying that, you know, if women lose their periods altogether, that it's actually a sign that their bodies are so clean that they don't need to bleed anymore. No, if you hear someone say that, Ren, because there's no evidence, as I mentioned, if you look at the scientific research on amenorrhea, so when women stop menstruating altogether, it's a serious health issue because there's, you know, it it really does coincide with a a rapid increase in in bone loss. Mm -hmm. And as as women, especially one interesting thing about bone mass just to know in general is that as human beings, especially as women, we don't reach our what's called peak bone mass. So, you know, in our lifetime, there's a certain point at which we get them like we reach the peak and then we get older and then, you know. Um, and so as women, we don't reach that peak bone mass um, until in our 30s or possibly even early 40s. So for younger women. Um, who are on the birth control pill, for example, birth control pill suspends ovulation. And you don't lose bone mass as, as rapidly on the pill as you would if you were just amenorrheic. Mm-hmm. But there's evidence to show that women, if they are on the pill from a really young age, they may never reach their peak bone mass, mm-hmm. let alone if they are amenorrheic, if they stop bleeding. <laughs> so just to kind of like quell that. Yeah. Um so, to answer your question around, you know, why would we consider that a normal period, you know, when I was looking at the data, essentially um, there's a lot of studies where they measure the bleeding of, you know, lots of different study participants, hundreds of women, um, and identify, you know, what's typical. And some of the studies show there's quite a range. So, there are women who bleed less than the three day mark. Um, but when you understand what happens in the menstrual cycle, So in the first half of the cycle, your ovaries are making estrogen. And as I mentioned, estrogen is a proliferative hormone. It causes things to grow. So once we have our periods, it's estrogen that helps to build up that uterine lining and thicken it, um, you know, help it to grow. And then once we ovulate, it's progesterone that matures that lining and kind of further develops it in preparation for fertilized, like a fertilized egg to implant. And so if you're... If you, as a woman, if you have your period, and when I was looking at what is the normal volume of bleeding... a normal volume of bleeding falls somewhere between about 25 and 80 milliliters. So that's approximately one to four or five ounces or so of, and that's for the total, however long you bleed. So Mm -hmm. if you have a period four days and that would be all, you know, add it all up and it should be at least that. Um, So for women using menstrual cups, a lot of the menstrual cups are close to about an ounce. So if the entire time, if you added up all of the bleeding on all of the days, if you couldn't make an ounce, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that's an indication of a problem. Mm. It's an interesting world that we live in we have such a negative connotation of bleeding um, mm. and menstruation that we would potentially overlook an actual problem.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so to put it into perspective again, because your period is related to your hormone production that month, a really light you know period could indicate a lot of different things, one of them being it could indicate that your hormone levels are not where they need to be. Mm. Um, you know if for some women if they experience kind of a random quote unquote period that's mm-hmm. like one day and really light, that might not be a real period that might be a type of anovulatory bleeding, so it could even indicate that it's just a type of bleeding if you weren't charting you might not know that you didn't ovulate and that 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 wasn't really a real period um so I think that that's interesting because I think we have a sense of like, okay, if it's too much. Right. So if the bleeding is over 80 milliliters, if it goes on and on for days, we, we do have a sense of that. The research kind of cuts off at the 80 milliliter mark because when women regularly bleed more than that, it could be an indication of something like fibroids or adenomyosis or endometriosis or um, estrogen dominance. or um, And it also puts her at an increased risk of iron deficiency anemia, which is interesting because there's an interesting relationship. Relationship between iron and bleeding. So obviously bleeding a lot can cause you to lose iron. But if you're deficient in iron, you might bleed more. Wow. So there's an interesting association. So we kind of have a sense of like, okay, if she's bleeding more than that, we should probably look into it. Although I have on many occasions had to suggest for a woman like, that sounds like a lot of bleeding. Maybe you should get an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Um, because often as women too, we just think it's supposed to be horrible. And <laughs> I just bleed a lot. But someone has to say like, look, if you're, if you're filling up six pads a day for four days straight. I think that you should just
1: get checked.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just something we should be aware of. Um, and just to kind of close out the conversation around like a really light period, potentially being a problem. Um, So again, when I looked into the research, I wanted to find out if there was a link between the thickness of the uterine lining and your chances of conception. And it turns out that your uterine lining does have to be of a certain thickness in order for conception to take place. Um, So what the research showed was that, um, you know, if a woman's uterine lining is lower or thinner, I should say, than about seven millimeters, That pregnancy was much less likely to happen. Um, and then as the lining in, increased in thickness, like eight millimeters, nine millimeters, 10 millimeters, not only did her chances of conceiving and sustaining a pregnancy improve, but also the, the chance of miscarriage reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you use birth control, it really thins out that lining. So many women have, not all women, but some women have lighter periods I, I'm going to put quotations in there. I should say lighter withdrawal bleeding like pseudo periods because it's not a real period um, on the pill. So, yeah, it's it's important to know that if you have super light periods, that, that could be an indication of a hormonal issue. Mm.
2: Yeah, that's that's uh, it's so important because it's just I'm just seeing so much information out there. There's so many um, women that that believe that. Uh, the the less like less is best and um, or healthier yeah or or healthier mm-hmm. yeah like you said there's this common thing about uh, if it's too long but it, it's the opposite like the lighter it is the 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 more that that they uh, actually praise it and, and we see a lot of people actually striving to 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 get it to uh, to be less whatever you know means they they take to do it but people are actually trying to do that. Um, so I'm glad that you're touching on this issue because I think it's really important. Um, wh- what do you think are uh, contributing factors for a poor uh, menstrual cycle?
0: Um, <clears throat> I mean, when you say poor, mm-hmm. do you just mean a menstrual cycle that is falls out of range or Exa-
2: exactly, in a specific yeah. way? Right.
0: Um, well, what's interesting is that for as a woman, when you think of the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, um, what I've seen in my years of working with women and supporting them to chart through different you know, health-related issues and things like that is that um, there, if you're experiencing a health issue that's impacting your hormones in any way, it will typically show up in your chart in one way or another. So in terms of the reasons why, it can be a wide variety of reasons. So sometimes it's situational. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get on a plane and go to Cuba mm-hmm. on a vacation and it kind of gives it gives your body a bit more stress. So it's not, it doesn't feel stressful because you're going on a vacation. But any time, you know, situational things like that or outright stress, mm-hmm. you know, issues at work or issues in your relationship, um, those can cause those kind of disruptions on a cycle to cycle basis. So you might have a delayed ovulation or if you experience a really significant stressor in the second half of your cycle, your you know, it could actually shorten the cycle a little bit and your period could come a bit sooner mm-hmm. or you might experience some spotting or something like that. Similarly, with, um, for women who jump into a new exercise routine and really go hard on it, um, your cycle is a really good way to gauge um, whether your exercise routine is a little bit overboard or not. Um, I've worked with many women who jump in and they're working out four days a week, five days a week, um, going real gung ho. And all of a sudden, you know, they're starting to spot at the end of their cycle where they didn't before and all those types of things. So um, stress exercise. There's dietary things. If a woman has autoimmune issues or gut problems, so she has food sensitivities or if she has like irritable bowel symptoms or something like that. I've seen that impact the cycle in a number of different ways from kind of bleeding throughout the cycle to it changes the cervical mucus um, discharge. So I've seen women that have sensitivities to certain foods who literally like just have some degree of mucus all the time and then when they figure out what they're sensitive to and they modify, (laughs) they kind of do the trial of like not having it for a cycle then it, it often kind of you know, improves, and they're seeing mucus when they're supposed to see mucus. Um, in addition to that, there's other conditions. So, for women who have polycystic ovary syndrome or some degree of insulin resistance slash glucose intolerance, so um, somewhere on that like pre-diabetes spectrum, that can really influence the cycle by delaying ovulation. So, when a woman has um, cycles that are really long, like so, she is cycling, but maybe she goes two months between her periods or three months between her periods. Um, That can certainly be related to diet and just on an individual basis, how your body deals with carbohydrates, essentially, Mm -hmm. Um, especially within the black community. We're not like diabetes, high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those types of things are very, very common. And so how it shows up in the menstrual cycle is that when you, you know, for women who are sensitive to that and somewhere on that PCOS spectrum, you know, if they're consuming, whatever foods are consuming, carbohydrate-heavy foods, it's causing, um, you know, when you eat carbohydrates, your, um, your blood, your body's always trying to maintain a really strict blood sugar balance. And so your body's actively trying to make sure that that blood sugar balance is always within a tight range. So when you eat the food, you release insulin and that gets the sugar out of the blood. <laughs> yeah. Um, to regulate it. And so for some women, they're not, they, they're they what's called insulin resistant. So they eat the, you know, they eat the food, their body releases all this insulin and the cells are like, meh. <laughs> and so then the body has to release way more insulin to finally get the job done. Meanwhile, you know, the, the blood sugar has been ro- uh, rising. Um, they're, yeah, they have an increased inflammatory response. It causes a great deal of stress on the body. And those factors work together to create this storm where your ovaries look around and they're like, well, this isn't a good time mm. to ovulate. So the ovaries become kind of resistant like you're you know to the process so that's one of the, the the things for a lot of women where they might notice like i only get my period like six or seven times a year what's mm-hmm. going on um you go to the doctor a lot of times health professionals will just put women on the pill to quote unquote regulate the cycle so that but it's helpful just all of that isn't true so the pill doesn't regulate anything it suppresses the cycle yeah so instead of having a cycle you end up. Um, basically replacing it with a fake chemical cycle and you end up getting a a bleed every month. So when that woman is ready to get pregnant at some point in the future, she still has to deal with whatever underlying factor was causing her not to ovulate regularly. Um, So it's just so vital as women for us to understand that our cycle is a reflection of our health. And if the cycle is falling outside of the parameters, that there's something wrong. Because, you know, if you don't know that and you mask it, with a pill for years when you do want to have babies you still have to address it you know and it can be really hard to find that out when you're 36 and 37 and you don't necessarily have all the time in the world
2: right yeah you you just said a, a whole lot um <laughs> a, a whole lot oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, i want i want to talk about a couple of things that uh that that you brought up um the first the first question is uh just as far as sensitivity is concerned like would you say that that a woman's uh cycle is just very sensitive to 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 change um and based on on how like Based on how that change occurs, that's an indicator of how effective um, that that change is in a positive way or, or negative way.
0: Um, well, I would say, yes, I would probably word it in a way to say that a woman's cycle is reflecting her overall health. Mm-hmm. Of course, every woman is different. So some women are going to be more sensitive to certain things than others. So there's certain things where. One woman has a certain type of experience, maybe experiences a certain type of stress, and her body might respond a bit differently to someone else's. Mm -hmm. So there's no blanket rule that every woman's going to respond this exact way to this exact stressor. Um, But any woman who has paid attention and charted her cycles for a period of time... so. I can use myself as an example or any of my clients that I've worked with over a long period of time. But I've been charting my cycles for almost 20 years. So I I discovered fertility awareness when I was 18. I was like, you know, it's a very interesting set of circumstances that brought me to what I'm doing now. So I've been doing this for a long time, both personally and also professionally. And so if I look at my own cycle over all the years, um, I have a thyroid issue. I've you know gone through changes, I've had two children. so over the years I've seen my cycle you know be 45 days when it was kind of unhealthy before I identified my thyroid issue mm-hmm. and I've seen it fall into line in more of the 32day range. And I have been able one of the um, one of the ways that women can use this information in their daily lives is is as a way to kind of gauge what's happening in their bodies. So it's kind of like this way to stay in touch. So I always joke that I could never really go totally off the rails. Mm -hmm. Like I could never like binge on all of the candy for months on end and like... Go on a crazy exercise routine because I've been charting for so long that it would be so apparent to me. Mm -hmm. If I, you know, go and like do a bunch of stuff, like don't take care of myself, don't sleep well, and all that kind of stuff, I'll see the change. I'll see my luteal phase maybe shorten a little bit. Potentially I'll have, you know, worse PMS symptoms or I experienced period pain for years. Ridiculous pain um, that was, to build, it was just completely insane. Um, the pain after, ha- when I was in labor with my first son, I remember thinking, Pfft. This can't be labor. <laughs> um, so just to kind of lend credence to that. Um, so for me personally, I mean, if I go and eat all the inflammatory foods and like do all, of, I, I mean, I could bring them back. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want to though. So for me, it's it's really been a vital sign in my life. And what I'm referring to basically is what I, you know, what's called body literacy, that idea of just understanding how your cycle works and understanding how different things affect your cycle. So any woman who's charted her cycle for any period of time will start to see that for herself. She'll start to see like, oh, I had a lot of stress this month. This is how it affected me. Um, potentially, she does something. She changes up her diet and, and she notices that she doesn't have as much bloating before her period or her mood improves or something like that. So we start to like it's, it's, it's one of those things that you almost have to experience as a woman because it's really powerful. And it's amazing, because you actually have a lot of power in that, you know, you have a lot of within yourself and in your daily actions and your um, just like the lifestyle factors and dietary and all those things, you have a lot of power to really be in control of your health. Whereas before you learn this, you might think that there's literally nothing you can do if you've got issues with your cycles
2: hope that answers the question absolutely yeah i mean more more so and and it actually opens the door for for other questions so
1: that is the conclusion of part one with our interview with Lisa Hendricks and Jack. Thank you for listening. If you've gotten value from it, please share this information with anyone who you think will benefit from it. Leave a comment on the show notes pages, which is lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash 110. That's lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash 110 on there you can also um, there'll be links to our previous interview with Lisa which was episodes 80 through 82 if we broke that up into three parts I'll also list Lisa's contact information um, the link for the audible book as well as the physical copy if you wanted to grab that Um, And you can also find out more about our Wellness Center, Life Strength and Health, what we do and how we serve people to help you to feel and look your best naturally. So, again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for part two of this interview with Lisa. And until next time, live healthier.
2: Yes. Stay healthy, everyone. Peace and blessings.